Vaxi's musical podcast. My guest today is one of my favorite musicians of all time. Colin Molding was not only the wildly underrated bass player for the band XTC from 1972 to 1991. Colin is also the guy who wrote the band's first three charting singles, including Life Begins at the Hop, their commercial breakthrough Making Plans for Nigel, both from 1979, and Generals and Majors, which came out the following year. And while Andy Partridge may have been the band's principal songwriter, who's often considered to be a bona fide genius, there's no question that Colin Molding's contributions to XTC were every bit as brilliant, which frankly would be a lot to ask for anybody. But Colin Molding was always up for the task. Last summer, when I spoke to Andy Partridge, we talked about the band's amazing journey from being a small little band from the English town of Swindon to becoming the opening act for the police and the talking heads to abruptly ending live performances due to Andy's debilitating panic attacks, only made worse from the abrupt withdrawal of a 12-year-long dependence on Valium. And while XTC would never perform live again, some of their greatest music was yet to come. This was a band that released some of the best albums of the decade, including Drums and Wires, Black Sea, English Settlement, Skylarking. All brilliant, all critically praised, but met with various levels of success. Today, 21 years after XTC recorded together for the very last time, Colin Molding has made a comeback, then a retirement, and then another comeback. First appearing with original XTC drummer Terry Chambers as TC&I back in 2017. And this year, Colin has just released his first solo single ever with the song The Hardest Battle. And, as expected, it's like the man never skipped a beat. So for me personally, this was a real big one. This was my conversation with Colin Molding of XTC on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Nice to see you. And you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. I've been a huge fan of you and XTC for so long, and that to have any kind of new music from you feels like a real gift. So, so thank you for that. I think that the new the new song "Hardest Battle" is is fantastic. It's 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 good to hear your voice, even if it's multi tracked a thousand times over. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we've had a lockdown, so it's you're on your own, you know. <laughs> That is uh, that is true. How has the lockdown been for you? Well, just working, really. That's all you can do. You right. know, Boris Johnson said, you must stay home. So I stayed home. And uh, <laughs> that's um, what does a musician do but make music when when he's on his own. Yeah. I know that uh, you know, over the years, you've there, there have been stories about you not having interest in continuing to do music then. And then you you come back, the TC and I thing happens, and then that you retire from that, and all of a sudden you come back with a with a brand new single. What what changed for you? Was it was it in fact the lockdown that got you to have that itch to start doing it again, or was it something different? Well, I like singles culture. I always have done really, uh, probably more so than album culture, if there right. is such a such a thing. Um, so I thought. I stumbled across this song and I thought, you know what, that might be a single. So I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll put it out as a single. And, you know, the old rules don't apply anymore when you're on your own. You don't have record company people saying you've got to do this and that. Uh, their commercial interests are long gone. So you've just got yourself. So I thought it would be nice, just a lovely thing to do. 
I don't know. Do you have a long history of uh, record companies trying to <laughs> force their influence on you? Well, in the eighties, I think they, you know, <laughs> the, the the need for a hit was paramount. You know, right uh, to boost to boost sales. So, um, yeah, they they've had their funny five minutes. You know. <laughs> So a few years ago, you and Terry Chambers got together with uh, with TC and I, and 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 I thought the music was terrific. And and again, it's like one of those things where, a, as an XTC fan, when I hear Colin Molding's voice again, it's kind of like getting reacquainted with an old friend, even though you know we've never met. Uh, you know, that's the impression that I'm always left with whenever I hear something, you know, new from either you or 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 Andy when when that happens, because that doesn't happen. Uh, an awful lot, but whenever I do, it's like ah, there it is. It's 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 something so comfortable uh, that you know it's it for for someone who's not a fan, it may be hard to describe. But but for someone who does love XTC and 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 your music, it's it feels so familiar and 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 comfortable and 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 wonderful to have you guys recording again. Yeah, well, it's um, it was great to do that with Terry. He was back in the country after being in Australia for about 30 odd years. And when I learned he was back in the country, I, I'd already started this little EP. And um, basically I thought, well, I wonder if he would be interested, you know? And um, lo and behold, we went out for a few drinks, <laughs> as you do. And um, I popped the question and he said, well, you know, I'm out of form, but I'll give it a go, you know? So, um, that's what we did. We spent uh, seven or eight months making this EP, and uh, you know, it, it's funny how you know, when he left XTC in, in 1982, you guys had decided that you were coming off the road and and, and no longer going to be doing you know, live performances again. And then here, the two of you are for the first time in many many years performing on stage. And I realized it was mostly around uh, you know Swindon and, and other parts of, uh, of 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 England, but that had to be a huge thrill to be playing on stage with the guy that you literally grew up playing with. Yeah, well, the Swindon gigs, we thought we'd make a showpiece, you know. It's like going to a West End show or Broadway or something, keep it in one place. So you actually uh, you set the gear up and you don't move it, and, and that's fantastic. And we just had a great deal of fun. And Terry's thing is touring, really. That's what he likes to do. I'm not so keen. Um, so I thought, well, he's helped me out on the EP. We've done that together. And I knew he was itching to do some shows. So I said, all right, well, why don't we stage it in one place? We'll, we'll find a venue, you know. Uh, so we did that for half a dozen shows and they were fantastic. It was lovely to hear all those songs kind of coming out in a concert hall, you know. That's, that's a luxury me and it's also a bunch of songs i mean not only that you haven't performed in a long time but also songs that have never been performed publicly too i mean the, uh, what was the reaction of crowd i mean these these are people who have been waiting since 1982 to see you guys play uh, you know this music what was the reaction to the crowds for those uh, half dozen shows well i heard there were grown men weeping in the aisles you know <laughs> all but, uh, all record executives right <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah but i didn't mop their tears up but you know, they, they clearly felt something deep, yeah, and that was wonderful, yeah. You know, I also love the fact that, you know, on this new single, you brought back the song Say It, which, uh, and correct me if I got this wrong, it was only released on the Apple Venus box set, and the, and the story that, that I had read was that it was either the last sure. song you had written for XTC or the last song that you had recorded 
as as a, as a band or while you were still in the band is is that how that worked out yeah it was kind of the last days of xtc very much like the last days of rome you know <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah it was pretty much the last song that i wrote for xtc and yeah. uh, for the album that never was really but uh, i thought it got sort of dispensed with really because when it became clear that we weren't going to do an album and it was the crumbling of the band um it got put out on a promo disc and I thought, my God, that's just throwing it away, you know? Right. And I had a lot of faith in the song. And I remembered the early version that I did uh, with a local guy called John Bucket on piano. And uh, I thought, you know what, that's got a lot, seems to have a lot more feeling than the one we had um, with XTC. So I thought it was, it deserved a better fate than it got. So I thought, well, I'm going to do it again. It's interesting how Say It and, you know, The Hardest Battle, 21 years later, kind of have a uh, like a similar theme to it. Both very encouraging, you know, songs to either, you know, to speak your mind or to thine own self be true. Was that intentional uh, to pair those songs up or did you just think, oh, you know, this song has kind of a similar bent to it? No, no. um, The Hardest Battle was I Wanted Out as a single and the guys at Burning Shed said, I said to them, well, do you do singles, you know? I quite like singles. And he said, well, we do singles, but have you got anything else? You know, <laughs> and then I remembered that version of Say It. And I thought, you know what, that would go perfect on this record. And of course, they both end with the word now. now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Somebody pointed that out, I think, on YouTube. And I thought, my God, he's right. <laughs> on the word now. I guess I'm a very impatient man. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it certainly punctuates the point of of both songs and what you're you're trying to say. It's like it's it's not just you know, say how, what you feel, whether it's, you know, telling somebody that you love them or, you know, whatever it may be, but it's like, that's the punctuation that. Well, it is because time is precious, especially when you get to our age or my age, I should say, I beg your pardon, (laughs) but um, yeah, time is fleeting and you really got to do it now. Otherwise it may never get done. You know, there's also a part of me that hears uh, the song say it. And if you know, you take it, you know, literally, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it. You can interpret it as, you know, say, uh, you know, tell someone that you love them, that you, in fact, love them. But there's a part of me that says, you know, at the time that you're writing this song, you know, I'm wondering if the words were maybe directed towards Andy at the time to say, you know, either we continue this as a band or we just stop it. You know, just, you know, make a, a choice and say it. Was was that, did that have any part of, uh, of, this, of creating that song? No, I don't. I don't think it was about Andy or, or that well, subconsciously it may have been, I don't know, but I, I think with say it, I just wanted to make it an everyday statement about, you know, if you're on a train or something, or even, you know, you must come out with it. If you're thinking it, you must say it there and then, you know, right. And um, very often when you write a song, you don't really know what they're about until you're into them. You know, you come up with a first phrase or a first line, and you think, well, you know, I've got to justify it. So I thought, well, in a few minutes, I'll I justify it. You know, or right. a few lines, I, I justify it, and then and then you're you're on your way. Then it's like it becomes a crossword puzzle that has to be worked out. You know, but to, to begin with, you don't always know what it's about. You know, I watched the the XDC documentary uh, a while back. It's very hard to find these days, but it's a wonderful documentary. As far as I always I thought it was terrific, but. You know, as a fan, there's a lot of things that you, you, you take away from that story. And one of the things that, that seems to be true is that 
there was always something getting in the way of, of XDC reaching like that next level of success. Sometimes it was like self-induced. Other times it was induced by, you know, outside forces, you know, producers, weird timing, bad management, all those things. In hindsight, after looking at, you know, your career, and I don't know how reflective you are about, about the past or nostalgic you get, but do you have a different sense of what happened to the band back then today, as opposed to when it was actually happening? No, I don't think my views have changed on it all that much, really. We, we were the individuals that we were, and, and that, that dynamic between those individuals uh, produces something, you know. We could be, we could play sweet pop, we could be angular, we could be many things, jazz, you know, but we, are, we were what we were. The, the, the individuals made up this mass you know that, right uh, that was xtc you know and it was an odd we were an odd bunch i think you know? <laughs> the story of the band is is very unique in, in the sense that here you have a couple of like you said you know different personalities you know you and andy and uh, and dave gregory and 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 terry and, and even you know barry andrews if you if you want to go that far back you know in, initially it's it's very clear that andy is kind of like the alpha male of the band but you come into your own as, as a songwriter to almost the same level, to maybe even more so because of, of the success of those, of those early singles that, uh, you know, Nigel and, and uh, Generals and Majors. I mean, yeah. to have emerged and to have reached that level, I think would be a lot to ask of most musicians. You know, can you write songs that compete as well as what a guy like Andy Partridge has, has written? I mean, did you feel any pressure to, to I don't know if it's it, to compete with Andy or just to rise to the level of, of what he was capable of? Well, I think when Barry left, it was acted like a bit of a catalyst, really. Those early albums were quite um, idiosyncratic. They're quite angular, you mm-hmm. know, lots of discords and stuff. And I, after a while, I thought, is this really you? You know, you're a melodic guy. You know, that's what you've got to do. And it's just a case of finding your own. And I was a melodic guy. I thought, right, I'm going to start writing in the way perhaps I should have started, you know. Because I think in the beginning, I just wanted to fit in. You've got to remember that I only started writing really on the, on the nose of the first album, really. And I didn't, before that, Andy was the only writer in the band, you know. I, I always say that one of the roadies or something said to me, you know, Colin, you ought to start writing because otherwise you'll miss out, you know. I thought, well, I'll give it a go, you know. So I compare myself to, well, in a way, to George Harrison because he started writing when Lennon and McCartney were really up and running and in their prime, you know, and that's that was difficult for him. So he, he, his first efforts were, were in the public eye as well as mine, you know. That's, that's the compatibility or comparing of like for like, I think, you know, um, because we had, to, we had to get better in the public eye, and that's not always easy, not that easy, you know. It's, you know, if you've got all your bad songs out of the way and then you're on a roll, <laughs> then you want the public to see that. But, you know, you're, if you're starting out, then obviously your, your tries and all your disappointments they're very often seen in the public eye. Well, they were for me. So, um, so when we got to drums and wires, I, I made a conscious effort to be myself. You know. So, um, yeah, there we go. The heart of this battle again. <laughs> I mean, how would you compare yourself? As, as I mean, because about a year—well, not a year ago, last summer, I interviewed Andy, 
And I've also interviewed you pageant since then too. So I've kind of gotten a, a, a couple of perspectives from different angles on this. How, how would you compare yourself as a songwriter as opposed to Andy? I mean, Andy he talked about and, and described, you know, how songs come to him, how lyrics come to him. And that's not something that a lot of people do. They don't do it quite that way. How is it different for you and, and the process of, of arriving at a song? Well, I can't speak for Andy, but I can only speak for myself and say that, you know, until there's a marriage between words and music, then there is no song. You know, you can have chords and stuff that you really like and they're really emoting on, on your being, you know, the, the shift in chords. And you think, well, I've just got to put that to one side and squirrel it away and save it until a lyric can come up and a melody to go with it, you know. Uh, and then there's the other side of it with the lyrics. You just, um, you know, that would be a great subject matter or that's a great first line. But until there's a marriage between the two, then, you know, nothing is achieved, really. Uh, so, you know, there's two different camps have to come together. That's that's the way it is for me. And then once I get the first line and that melody goes with the, the, the music that I've come up with, the chord sequence, and then I'm away. And then, you know, the rest is just working it out. Right. Uh, like a crossword puzzle, you know, it's, it's just, you just slot them in, you know, and you think, no, that does, that word doesn't sound right there. I'm gonna have to think up something else, you know, and then you just work through it until you come to a final, you know, template. You know? In, in these periods of when you're, you're not so focused on music, do you ever attempt to write during those periods or it, does something just have to come to you before you, know, you grab the guitar and, and start ripping something out? Yeah, I don't force it, you know, now I'm I'm playing bass. I'm playing bass on this Hanna Barbera cartoon thing, you know, which is good because I'm going back to how things started for me, which was just being a bass player, you know, and that's great, you know. I'm not thinking about writing at the moment. I'm just playing bass, playing bass sessions, and you know, I enjoy that <laughs> that too, you know. Yeah. So the the Hanna Barbera thing. Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, they're doing. A, <laughs> I think they're doing a film called Jellystone. I think. Which uh, I think, as far as if I got this right, it's Yogi Bear, the Flintstones, Top Cat, all rolled into one. And, uh, and they said, this chap, Ego Plum, I think his name was. Do you know this guy? Yeah. But anyway, he said to me, uh, Do you fancy playing bass on the theme tune? I said, Well, that, that sounds a bit novel. So, yeah. So uh, that's, that's what I've been doing this week, you know. Yeah. That's great. So when you guys stopped touring in, in 1982, and, and this is—I know this is something that, that people kind of focus on, but they focus on you know what happened to to Andy, uh, the panic attacks, the the Valium, uh, you know, addiction. But you know, I've always been kind of fascinated by what the rest of you guys were thinking as that was going on. I mean, you know, you know, here's a guy who, you know, like we said, it has you know been a, a pretty dominant presence in this man and all of a sudden he tells you i can't do this anymore as guys who are you know really just starting to get the ball rolling with success and then to all of a sudden not have it clearly you know terry you know felt like he needed to leave the band but for you and, and dave what was that like i mean was that had to be incredibly frightening to go through uh to see andy you know kind of fall apart like this yeah he can be quite fragile emotionally i think and um, 
I don't you know. I just thought that that's what bands do. They tour and they promote the record. I just thought that's what they had to do in order in order to promote the record. I didn't. I feared for our survival. Yeah, because I didn't. I had this notion that, that you know that in my head that um, you know bands really can't survive unless they tour as well to promote their records. So um, it was frightening. Uh, but at the same time, I got to see my kids grow up. <laughs> you know what, what's not to like about that and, right you know that, that, that's uh in a way it saved me as well you know coming off the road like that you know and um i had my family by then they were pretty young and so it was you know i wanted to see them grow up and um probably i wouldn't have had we been carrying on touring certainly to the extent that we did but you know that's another story did did the strike against uh, Virgin uh, Records kind of do the same thing? It, 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 I don't know. If I want to say it bought you more time because clearly you're making a, a statement at the same time. But like you said, I mean, you're able to live your life. You're able to do the things that you want to do and spend time you know, raising your kids and, and, and with your family. I mean, did having already experienced that with coming off the road, did that make the strike with Virgin easier to handle? Well, it means we didn't work for a long time. I think we all did sessions with other people just to just to work, you know. Right. Um, it was difficult because we had such a rotten deal back from 1977. Of course, Virgin were happy to carry on with the deal as long as it took, you know. And it was like, well, we're, we're just not making anything, you know, out of this. What, what, what do you want us to do? So we played poverty and um, said, you know, we're really not going to make another record until, you know, we up the, you up the ante a bit, you know? Right. And the deal was so rotten um, from 1977 that we felt it was the only thing to do, you know? But um, I think it came at a cost because we'd gone so long without making a record and it made the made doing Apple Venus that much more precious in a way. And maybe that contributed to the breakup of the band. You know? It's interesting that Apple Venus, well, Apple Venus and, and Wasp Star is now 21 years old. I mean, it's it's... It's hard to imagine it's been that long. I mean, I remember buying it in the store and being, you know, both albums in the store and being, you know, like so excited that, you know, after all this time, you know, again, it was like feeling like a gift has been given to you. Did you ever feel like there was a sense of closure about XTC or, or was that even something you even needed at the time? No, after those records, I thought we were going to go on and make another, you know, Andy played his cards pretty close to his chest. And when he suggested that he was going to put all his demos out, I thought, oh, Christ, shouldn't we be thinking about an album, you know? <laughs> and um, doing the Fuzzy Warbles thing, and he said, do you want to come in with me? I said, well, I'm not really interested in that, you know? And that was the beginning of the kind of a breakup because I could tell he had a different agenda to me. And, uh, you know, the gap between us got wider, I think. And we became quite estranged, I think, until the breakup, so... The breakup came in probably the summer of 2006 when we had an argument about money and and that was it really. But, um, you know, we would had a good run. I think you've got to look at it that way, really. We've had a good run, you know, things can go on forever, you know. But you're all still living in Swindon. I mean, it, it, Swindon is a, is, is a good-sized town, but it's not so big where you, you may accidentally run into somebody, a Dave Gregory, an Andy Partridge. I mean, do you... Do you see him at like the grocery store or at the bank or you, know, you ever bump into the guy or what happens? Well, we don't, our paths don't really cross because I'm living just outside of town. 
and I think and is uh, he has another house in Brighton as well, which he um, so he, he divides his time between the two. I think uh, so. I very rarely see him. You know, um, I remember uh, pulling up to a pedestrian crossing and him crossing the road in front of me. It was very <laughs> like that scene in Psycho. You know. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as long as he didn't meet you in the shower, I think you'd probably be okay. Oh, that would never happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> with, with Terry, obviously living in, uh, you know, Australia for all those years and then suddenly he just arrives. I mean, can you, can you even think about or imagine a, a, a scenario where the two of you could talk, come to an agreement or, you know, bury the hatchet or, or something, or, or do you think that relationship has just played itself out and has gone past its expiration date i think you become different people as you get older you know your, your mindset changes and his agenda is completely different to mine i'm sure as is terry's and dave's probably so you know get, you can't really go back you know yeah. it's uh, you're on an express train and you know they're going off in different directions you know it's funny i think fans you know, they always want more. They're, they are, there's always this thirst to see you guys get back together. But I think what a lot of fans don't realize is you and Andy were in a band since 1972. I mean, it, it's it's not like you're joined at the hip. You have different lives and different, like you say, you have different uh, you know, motivations and different desires. I think we can all relate to the idea of, you know, the people that we knew 30, 40 years ago are not the same people that you necessarily have anything in common with today. And it just, it to me, it's more human nature than about any kind of acrimonious feelings towards somebody. You just, you just move on in life. And I think a lot of people, music fans, have a hard time imagining that because there's this, this binding glue between a, a, a music and a cons the consumer of music that seems, well, that should be more than enough to put you together. But that's not really the way humans interact with each other. Yeah, well, the thing is, um, there is this thing called the internet, you know, and you can conduct yourself with other humans uh, without uh, the need to meet them in person, you know. <laughs> uh, doing these bass sessions just recently, you know, uh, I, you, you send, it's very impersonal, you know, you get the, you get the tracks uh, via the internet and you send your contribution down the line to them and you've never met these people, but you do converse with email. And that's the thing with Andy and myself. I, you know, when we've been conducting this interview, there's a feeling like we've never seen each other or there's no contact at all. That's not right. We do con um, converse quite a bit over the internet. You know, I spoke to him last week about some tapes and all the rest of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, there is cordiality has come back, you know. So, you know, it's all to the good. But uh, at the time of the breakup, yeah, it was a bit rough, yeah. Now that the the hardest battle is uh, is out and the video is out, I mean, are are you more or or less inclined to release more singles like this? Uh, if they come up and if the songs come up, I wouldn't put anything out that I didn't really have faith in. Or I, you know, if I release singles, then they have to be good singles, you know. And um, that's the criteria I work to. You know, if nothing comes up, then you won't get anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> as simple as that. But uh, if I do come up with a song that I think, my God, that is really good. I've, I've got to get that out, you know, then you're hearing. So there's not a, a Colin Moldings fuzzy warbles out there. There's not eight CDs on the way. 
<laughs> no, I'm not interested in um, doing a warble, you know. <laughs> so uh, my demos were principally uh, f for myself. They were more primitive. It was just uh, something I needed to hear coming back at me to know whether things within the song work. So they were done for me, whereas I think and his demos were more or less done for other people to demonstrate his prowess or whatever. Right. Uh, but um, no, my, my demos were strictly for me, really, and then should never have got out of the, out of the can. <laughs> you know, I'm disappointed when I see my demos spread all over the Internet because they were never meant to be for other people's ears, you know. Yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, I mean, and, and I bought Andy's you know, Fuzzy Warble. I mean, I bought everything that you guys have done, it both, you know, on, on CD and, and, and on vinyl because that's the kind of a compulsive person I can be. But... Uh, you know, I hear what he had done and what he had released uh, on those records, and, and it's impossible to imagine how XTC, uh, in, in a different set of circumstances, couldn't have released two or three more albums. There was clearly enough material on, on, on his end, and I, and I have to assume that you know, if the band were still together, there would have been enough material on your end, too. And, and, and I, I mean, I don't know how you, you were perceiving it at the time that this could have just gone on and on, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, at least being one more record. I mean, could you have foreseen this continuing indefinitely or were you kind of seeing, all right, maybe we're slowing down here? Well, I was just looking for signs that things were ending, you know, and um, I was coming up with stuff for the, for the next album, which I thought would be. And, you know, but at the same time thinking this is going on a rather long time <laughs> and, um, you know, you have to be realistic. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy to uh, make another XTC record. Not now, but I was then. <laughs> and, um, you know, with a, with a view, view to doing another. And, and, and um, you know, that's, that was my mindset at the time. It's not my mindset now. You know, I, right. I, I feel that that has been done and put to bed now. But the reaction of the, of the, of the new single, and again, uh, the reaction to that, I have to assume is pretty validating to you. How do you feel about the reaction so far? Well, the reaction has been very good, you know, but, you know, people saying, well, it's his first single under his own name, you know, and it doesn't make, that doesn't mean very much to me. You know, they're, they're my, they're my babies and whether I put them out on my own name or whether it's an XTC or with TC and I, it matters very little. I don't make so much of an issue that it's out under my own name. The fact remains we had a lot known and I had to do a lot, really. Right. So it has to be under my own name, you know. But there's no big, you know, no banner waving about that, you know. For being such a fan for, for such a long time, and I'm, and I'm sure you, you hear this, and I, and I don't know how you respond to this, because if I put myself in your shoes, I would feel like, all right, I, I don't know what to do with that information. But it's like... My connection to the, your music is almost an, is almost visceral, in a way. You know, it's my favorite band. When people ask me why, I can't tell you why, other than to say it just is. And it's been, it's been such a thrill to follow your career that you know I've kind of passed that love of your music down to my own children, and uh, you know they love your songs and those albums and. You know, I can't tell you how many times they've asked me, "Hey, Dad, can I borrow Apple Venus? Can I can I borrow Skylarking?" Um, right. And, it, and it's, 
That'll it, come back scratch then. Well, <laughs> maybe, but you know what? I'll always buy another one if that's if that's the case. I know I'm not the first person to have told you stuff like that. When you hear a fan kind of, you know, laud over what you have done, what is your reaction when you hear you know a fan say, We love you, we want more? Well, I'm grateful he's bought the record and he appreciates it, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't really want to know what he's doing for Christmas you know? <laughs> <laughs> or the names of his children or anything, you know, but I'm just grateful that people enjoy it, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it as much as I enjoy making it. You yeah. Know? It, uh, the, the, the new, the new stuff is, is terrific. And I, I hope that there is more uh, along the way because it's, I'm always so appreciative when, when you or Andy, release something new i mean even though i probably have spent enough to put one of your kids through college or to buy a car or you know a new sofa whatever it may be uh i'm i'm always happy to contribute well thank you very much, you very much. <laughs> it's the very least i can do the very yeah. least i can do yeah, well you know it's just music as far as i'm concerned and as i said playing bass on this cartoon theme tune this uh this week you know it's been that's been great doing that as much as making the single you know it's just music for me so when is that expected to be uh, available uh well there i think there is some sort of trailer without music actually on the web now you know but um i don't know what the what their time schedule is you know i just they just want it now and they want it straight away and they want it snappy and let's have it you know so it knows to the grindstone for me this week well, Colin, it's it's a real pleasure to talk to you, and I and I do appreciate you making the time to uh, to be on the on the podcast today. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Mike. I hope you can make head or tail of it. So. Oh, I'll 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 figure it out. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, get the bread knife out on the on that tape. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, Colin. I appreciate the time today. Okay, thanks very much, and I'll say goodbye then. Bye bye. Bye bye. So there you go. The new single from Colin Molding is called "The Hardest Battle." And you can order it online on burningshed.com. If you like the interview, feel free to share it with every single person you know. I'd really appreciate it. I'd also appreciate hearing what you thought. You can email me at backs at rock102.com. You can also check out my regular updates on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Baxi's Fun Bag to see what's coming up next time. Thanks for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.